0: Hello and welcome to the latest Not A Yes Man's podcast. I'm Sean Richards and this is the point in the week you get to ask me questions about economics and financial markets. Thank you as ever for the questions. Two main ones today, actually quite different. Let me start with the first one, which is around the money supply. And the question is, what is it telling us? Now, if we look at this in a broad sweep, we see that across pretty much all the developed world, quite a bit of the rest. The money supply worked well as a harbinger, or being prescient, about the inflation we're still seeing that saw more recently. It rose, and then later, inflation rose. Now, how does that work? The theory goes as follows. If you have an increase in the broad money, broad money supply, that's an increase in nominal demand in the economy. Now that can go one of two ways. One is actual growth, the other is inflation. And it's considered that the lag is somewhere between 18 months and two years. So, that's the pattern. However, that's not the scenario right now. And let me give you some examples of countries and explain what I mean. If we look at the United States, now their broad money measure is M2, Actually, because of the changes, it doesn't make a lot of difference if you look at M1 now. It's very similar. And that has freaked people out at times, saying M1 surging. Well, uh, not really, because at that point it changed the definition. I forget which way round it was, whether it was 11 trillion and they added 6, or 6 trillion and they added 11. But you get the idea. Now, over the past year, the US measure of broad money, such as we have it, has fallen by 3%. So that's in the year to November. So if you bring that back into nominal money demand, you're looking out a year and a half, two years ahead, where either inflation will fall or the economy will shrink or that's some combination thereof, obviously. They could both fall. So the monetary breaks in that system are on quite heavily. Now, I would suggest that you don't take the numbers Completely, literally, that's gone very wrong in the past. You never get a pure number for the money supply and nor the pureling, but it does show to my mind that quite a break's being applied on the economy. But there are other factors at play. Let me give you a couple. It takes quite a long time for say, the changes in mortgage rates to really impact in the u s because so many have longer dated mortgages also on the other side of the coin. Fiscal policy is very expansionary under President Biden. So there's that pushing the other way. If we now move to the Euro area and look at that, I think things are clearer. We do have a narrow and a broad money thing and they're telling us pretty similar answers. What do I mean by that? We've seen a 9%, 10% annual fall in the narrow money thing for quite a while. That shows the monetary break in the short terms on And if you look at the figures, it seems quite likely that the Euro area is in recession. And it's hard to see a quick turnaround from that. Now, it's never entirely simple, but let me give you an example from the words of the ECB. Because that's slight confusion. This week, its economic bulletin says 2024 is going to get better. Whereas Vice President de Guindos changed things somewhat because he said it's going to be hard end to 2023 and it'll be the same in early 2024 a little element maybe a time scales there but that's the first time of the ECB addressing that if we go to the wider measure of the money supply and that's been round about minus one percent in annual rates for a while so again recession falling inflation some combination thereof interestingly not of the same level as the US, so the US has more of a break on at that end now. Trouble is for the euro area though, it's not starting from an especially good position, is it? The US has at least managed some growth beforehand, although of course some of that relates to the fiscal policy I just mentioned. So for the euro area, it's suggesting that, well basically times are gonna be like this, inflation should get better but there's not going to be much growth, maybe none at all, at times shrinking. So that poses a few questions. If we come to my home country, the UK, then there's some broadly similar numbers there. I'm being vague and it's deliberate. Why? Because of what happened last autumn. and um, Sorry, I mean the autumn before 2022. Because, you see, in the response to the Trump premiership and when Kwasi Kwarteng was chancellor, there were a lot of distortions and changes in the UK monetary system. In some respects, one of the smaller one was a Bank of England buying 20 billion pounds of gilts to try and calm it down. So the numbers themselves are not particularly helpful in terms of the detail at the minute. So we're looking at the response to that in terms of annual numbers. But there has been a drift lower here. So the same pressure's on. And that, to my mind, is one of the issues around inflation prospects. I'm an inflationista. I think it creates real problems for people via cost of living. Therefore, one should stop it. That doesn't necessarily mean right now. I'd be tightening things because already with bank rate where it is at five and a quarter percent, Bank of England selling gilts, monetary policy is quite tight, and the outlook therefore from the monetary sector is actually quite grim. But have something a bit more cheerful, good for inflation, it will be pulling that lower. Next up is a more, how can you put it, market-based question, I suppose. And that is, and it kind of relates to the previous thing, why do people follow exact Federal Reserve wording so closely? There's various contexts to that answer. If we just simply start to why does anyone look at the Federal Reserve, it's because the leader of the pack, gangster number one, however you want to put that, So much of world monetary policy flows out of it, even if you don't want to follow the Fed. In the recent period of a strong dollar, most central banks were forced to, whether they liked it or not, via the impact on their exchange rate. Probably the clearest, I think, was the Bank of Canada for a while. Essentially, because it moves before the Fed, was trying to guess what the Federal Reserve was about to do a week or ten days later. Awkward, isn't it? But returning back to the thing as to why people are looking at specific words, they're looking for something literal out of what the bank's saying. Now, I think that's a mistake, personally, because if you look back, there was the period when he was Federal Reserve President that Alan Greenspan essentially said, if you understand what I'm saying, then I haven't said it right. So they set out, or at least back then, set out to some extent to be misleading And I think in the modern era, they're actively misleading. What they want you to believe isn't necessarily what's going to happen. In fact, these days, because they've made not really a very good job of monetary policy, we find that their words are not really much matched to reality at all. But in the moment, markets respond. Algorithms will move treasury bond futures and so on and currencies. And then the rest of the world responds to that. But I don't think... That's very helpful because you see, by the time the words are in the Fed statement, you should have figured that out for yourself because as I just explained, at least in a market sense, if you're gonna get ahead of the game there, there's no point waiting for the Fed words because the algorithms will beat you anyway. But people do, CNBC and that sort of thing. Others, you know, do basically word catalogues of what the Fed said before, what it's saying now, and to some extent maybe that's a little bit of a guide. But remember, this is almost in the saying that you see in the cowboy and western films in the past. He or she, in terms of central banker terms, speaks with full tongue. So thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed it. And if you have, please take the advice of the choral and pass it on.